Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are going to talk today about ways God has established to motivate us to godly actions and thinking. Um, Now, this is going to be a syndicated series, isn't it? Yeah, kind of like fixing fables. I keep thinking we're going to run out of topics, and I keep finding new things. You keep finding new things. I'm pretty sure... We're good to go. <laughs> but so we'll, we'll, on occasion, we'll throw out these little spiritual motivators. Um, uh, we have about five or six that I know we'll do and probably more. And so we, we, we kind of look at these as fillers, um, kind of like fixing fables. They're short. This one shouldn't be more than 15 minutes or so. And But hopefully they can encourage them. It's when we have a rough week. And, and yeah, but part of it is, yeah, when we have a rough week, if, I mean, people don't know, but literally just uh, an hour or so ago, the DA here in Kenosha said that they're not going to file charges against a police officer involved in the shooting that resulted in riots um, last year that we talked about. Um, we, we agree with that decision, but I literally live down where all of that is going on. So I don't even know how I'm going to get home today because uh, people are already on Facebook saying that they're heading down to start to riot. I'm like, great. <laughs> um, but so we had that. What else? Do you, we were just listing things. Well, uh, we got the we got the runoffs, Senate runoffs in Georgia going on right now. Uh, Biden takes office. Yep. And then uh, <sighs> and then tomorrow, shoot me the whole uh, electorate issue. Yep. And this evening, we begin the process of signing for a new building yeah. for our church up in Yeah, Milwaukee. so we're not lacking things going on in our lives. And um, I, I actually had a, a recent attender to our church. Our churches are unlike a lot of churches here in Kenosha. We're growing uh, while others, because of COVID, are shrinking. It's weird. But we had I had one— Same thing up by us. And I met with him, and he, he just said— I said, I, I can't spend a lot of time meeting. I said, I've got a lot of things I got to do. And he just said, like, what? And he was genuinely confused. I'm like, I average about 12 to 14 hour days. And he's like, doing what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know, picking my nose. <laughs> he's like, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> so anyhow, we sometimes just <laughs> Sitting get Sitting so, cross-legged on your office floor, burning incense yeah, and deep meditation. Yeah, well. Yeah, digging lint out of my navel, uh, one of my favorite pastimes. Um, my wife right now is shaking her head. She's like, don't say that. Anyhow, we do have a lot of stuff on our plate, and so we are always looking for little ways that we can still put out a broad, uh, podcast, right, um, that is useful but also doesn't take massive amounts of time. So um, we're doing that. In fact, I'm working on a script for fixing fables on John three sixteen. That'll be a fun one because that gets used in a multitude of ways that I appreciate what they're trying to do, but they miss the point of the <laughs> passage. So that'll be fun. Anyhow, today we're going to talk about a spiritual motivator, um, and specifically, we're going to talk about salvation. So, in reality, 
for many, guilt is a very big motivator for doing or not doing something, if you think about it. Um, pastors use guilt all the time to try to get the people to do something. But though fear of failure or a sense of obligation can move people to do things, it's often done in a manner that does not actually promote godliness. In other words, people who are guilted into doing something tend to perform the required activity only to the point that they are left alone. That's all, it's like it's kind of like being a kid, right? What do I got to do to get mom to shush? That's that's what we're really wanting to do. It's it's not so that they would develop godly attitudes and such. And so we thought we'd give several short episodes on spiritual motivators that the Bible gives to us. Uh, now, I want to make certain this is clear, that um, I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Uh, Jim Roscup. He was incredibly godly. He, he just recently passed away into the presence of the Lord. But uh, he was a picture of godliness and a picture of faithfulness to countless men training. Uh, for full-time ministry. Um, he taught this material, and I came across it in my files. Um, and so over the years, as he would work through the material, I had acquired these notes. And I thought, this this would be a benefit. But I want to let you guys know, uh, this just didn't come out of my brain. This came from actually the brain and heart of an exceedingly godly man, uh, Dr. Uh, Roscup. So what, what the question is, so what motivates you to live and speak in such a way that promotes the Christian faith and a Christ-centered life? That's the question. What we will do is give short episodes on what should motivate you as you understand these points. And perhaps it will help you then in your Christian walk. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, just that broad topic of salvation itself as being a key spiritual motivator. Now, this works two different ways, and how well each of these works reveal how well you're growing in Christ. So it might be a bit uncomfortable at times, depending on how your life and practice is revealed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first way this motivates us is when we contemplate how great our salvation truly is. Um, now, this flows, of course, from a sound theology proper. Which uh, is um, the doctrine of God. God, yep. And then also a sound homardiology or doctrine of sin. So we just got a few passages here. Um, John 3, 16 through 19, that famous one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already. That's key. Yeah. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Uh, or John 3, 35-36, uh, the Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we are richly saved out from under the wrath of God. That's what's clear in these verses. Yeah, which um, is so, the better you understand what the wrath of God is, the more you say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> which is why we preach on it a lot. Yes. I mean, you, you, you understand how great your salvation is. Um, so this is a wrath that is both infinite and eternal. And because God is perfect and pure, 
the wrath will also therefore be perfect and pure as well. Um, in other words, there will be no little crack or crevice in his wrath that might shield you a bit from the fullness of that wrath. Uh, that's a very sobering concept to think yeah. on. Well, if you think about it, a lot of the people, they're like, well, I don't really want to come to Christ. That's fine. I mean, it's not, but it's fine. But they somehow think that wrath or hell is, well, that's where my friends are anyhow. It's like, you you don't understand hell and you don't understand what outer darkness means. You don't understand that somehow you're going to, somehow you can, okay, he's upset. It's hell. It's not fun, but at least I'm with my friends. No, you don't get that. Yeah. I developed that one a little bit on that sermon I did. It's called Four Signs You're Unredeemed. Yeah. We're, we're a friendly church. <laughs> Four Signs That You Are Unredeemed. And it was the most downloaded sermon of all of ours this uh, last month in December. Crazy. But Which tells you though, that people are, I think they a want, lot of people- They want to know this stuff. Yeah. They don't know if they're saved or not. And they, what, what, what does that look like? Or they're worried about their wife or yeah. husband or kids. Yeah. And well, it came out of the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, you know, it's what we call in the business, the attention getter. Uh, though I never, I'm terrible at introductions. Um, but he, he starts with those Beatitudes. And that, so here's four signs that you're unredeemed. And that's how he captures our attention. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and yet, listen to most sermons on Beatitudes is how to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. Anyhow. So, so this idea of wrath, I mean, this is a major issue. And so for all of eternity, the unbeliever is, is going to experience God's wrath in its fullest sense. And there's going to be no escape from that. Um, and why? Well, because they did not believe in his son, nor did they acknowledge God, although they knew him. Yeah, that's Romans 1. So when this, this settles on the Christian, it actually motivates him. And so John uh, 14, 15, Jesus then says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, what is the motivation to obey? It's, it's that you love Christ. And the love that you have for Christ will be commensurate to the level of understanding of how rich his saving work was for your sake, if that makes sense. So, so in other words, you're not working really hard to keep the commands to show that you love him. Rather, loving him is kind of that overflow, or I mean, keeping his commands is the overflow that you do love him. Yeah, and you realize I have... I, I can't believe what he has saved me out of. And out of that, then he, he's my Lord, my master, my savior. I, I obey, yeah. I obey, but I do it out of that love. So when you realize how much you've been forgiven, you will love much. When speaking of a woman who was described as a sinner, she remembered this. She washed Jesus's feet with her tears and anointed them with perfume. And everyone else is scandalized by that, right? <laughs> oh, and, she, and Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, he doesn't discount that, uh, have been forgiven. That's the key. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So the question in your mind is, why do I love little and obey little? Is it possibly because you don't really grasp how great your sin is and how great the forgiveness therefore was. Yeah. And, and when you, when you contemplate your salvation was something that was secured, then it motivates you all the more. Right, right, right. right so, right. so a passage on this, a good one is Romans 8, 31 through 32, where Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And, and I, I was working through this one with somebody the other day. I was explaining that that's a first class conditional. Right. So instead of if, 
It's a sin. It does not presume doubt. Yeah. So you yeah. could translate it since God is for us, who is against us? Again, great confidence there. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So his argument here, it's so simple and yet it's it's amazing. We tend to walk in, in so much fear of losing our salvation or wondering if we're really saved. And then we'll act as if we're we're beggars, hoping that God will somehow give us things we need or desire. Um, which just shows that we walk in unbelief far more than belief. Yep. Right. Um, but you know, Paul just points us to the cross. Um, so for, from an argument here of greater to the lesser, uh, he challenges each of us to think about the cross. If the father gave us his son, which is the greatest gift of all, then why are we so afraid that lesser things won't come to pass in our life with Christ? Um, and so he says nothing. Uh, can separate us from Christ's saving love. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, we're safe. Yeah. Um, and so in spending time thinking about our salvation, we would argue we become very motivated now to live in accordance to our calling. And we'll develop that in other motivators too. But the second way that salvation motivates us is in seeking the salvation of others. Um, so Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, specifically to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, the gospel is shameful if you do learn to see it rightly. In the eyes of the people of this age, at least, it makes no sense. Uh, we preach a crucified one who we will call Lord. We preach God who came in the weakness of humanity. Uh, we preach pure grace through faith rather than through effort and goodness on our part. And it really doesn't make sense. But it is what motivates Paul. He sees it not for what this age sees it as, but as it really is, the power of God unto salvation. So do you, do I, what prevents you from the spiritual work of evangelism? Often it is because you forget that the power of salvation is found not in your skills and your words, but in the simplicity of the gospel. And so you keep waiting and waiting to speak the gospel because you have lost your way. But when you see the gospel rightly, as Paul does, then it motivates you because it's not dependent upon you. Salvation lied or lies rather, in the hands of God, which is always a good thing. So it, it's that simple. So many people, they love Christ, but somehow they think it's up to them to get that guy saved. And it's like, dude, just give them the gospel. That's where it all lies. And, and if, you can, if you can walk away and say, I, I was faithful to give the gospel, and they didn't come to faith, it's okay. But, but we're still waiting. We need more training. We need more practice. We need more arguments, more methods. And it's not true. Yeah. Now, as we <clears throat> contemplate our own salvation from that, the wrath of God, we should then turn what we learn and see towards those who do not believe and let their need for salvation now to, to motivate, motivate us. So again, a few passages on this. Uh, Romans 9, 10, 11, just that, I mean, there's just a string of texts here. So Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Why? For I wish, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. That is an incredible statement. He wants, he said, I'd rather go to hell 
if that is what would bring my fellow Israelites to faith. Um, Not sure I, I'm there yet, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And it's just, it's also, I mean, you might have that thought once in a while, but he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing yeah. grief in my heart. This is a constant reality for this man. Uh, Romans 10, one through two, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Um, Romans eleven thirteen through 14, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, talking about Israel, and save some of them. Um, so in, the, in these passages, we see Paul's love for his fellow Israelite. And in chapter 11, we come to realize that a key motivator of his in seeking the salvation of the Gentiles, think about this, was actually to move Israelites to jealousy, which would then in turn result in belief. Um, so in other words, if you're a Gentile. And, and you were led to Christ by Paul, and you're like, man, Paul loves me. He, and Paul would say. Or God loves me. Yeah, yeah. And he, and, but Paul would say, well, I'm doing this because I want somehow to move my fellow Israelite to jealousy because God is working in your life and not them. Huh. Yeah, it's a profound statement. So this is, this is not only for the Israelite, though. Paul grasped that he was called to call sinners to repentance, whether they were Jew or Gentile. So uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. <laughs> Again, a crazy statement. Um, that, why? So that I might win more, the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, those not being, though, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, <laughs> that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So go ahead. Well, so, so he understood that in other words, people don't accidentally become Christians. Uh, the power of God under salvation is the gospel, but the vehicle through which it's delivered to the sinner is through the one who shares that gospel. Um, so Romans 10, 12 through 15, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. And then that famous John 20, 21, Jesus says, peace be with you as the father has sent me, so also I send. Which is one you. of our key verses as a church. Yeah, yep, yeah. And that, that commission to the apostles then moves beyond them now to us. Uh, as disciples. So we are sent into this world to bring the gospel to those who do not yet know it. All right. So who are you then seeking to bring Christ or bringing to, bring to Christ via the gospel? And if you're not, we have a simple question. Why? Really, why? We would suggest that you are either not grasping your own great salvation from the wrath of God, 
or you do not see the greatness of need to those around you who are lost. Or we would simply say, go back to the basics of the faith to find out where you lost your way. That's what we mean by that. Go back, go back, because somewhere you something got broken in your thinking. Uh, drench yourself then in the gospel again and why you were saved. Contemplate the sheer grace that you and not somebody else was washed and sanctified by God. Spend time talking to another more mature Christian about what it means to be a called a child of God. And keep doing that until your heart begins to move to pity for those who do not know Christ. Now, we're going to give some other motivations to grow in our spiritual walk in, 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 with Christ in other episodes, but we hope that this one will be a good one for you to begin to think about is just contemplate that salvation and then look outward, having realized how great you've been saved and, and begin to open your heart toward them. Well, until then, make sure to tune in join the conversation. Uh, we really would love to hear your thoughts on what ought to motivate you as a Christian and maybe some struggles you have. Um, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell a friend.